Hello and welcome to the Big Happy Life podcast. This week, my efforts to answer the question, how good is it possible to feel, led me to talk to Adele Stickland. Adele is an accredited coach. She's the founder of Get Gorgeous and also the author of international best-selling book, also called Get Gorgeous. In this episode, Adele shares her views about some of the things that we need to do to feel our best. And she also gives some great tips for those of you who might be starting out on your journey to feel better. Adele shares loads of her views about our roles as women in culture, in our communities, in our families, in our workplaces, and how that's affected the way we think, the way we feel, and the things we value. And then also how that impacts how we look and how we think about how we look. And although I must confess, we never really get to the heart of how good it's possible to feel. But particularly for those of you who are over 40 and wanting to look and feel your best, this episode is chock full of Adele's best tips and best advice. And she'll also give you lots to think about to help you challenge your beliefs and some of the things that might be getting in your way. She certainly did that for me. Here's our conversation. Before I go into all the questions that I have for you, I was looking at your bio and I was looking at all the things you've done. We have a lot in common. So you've worked in corporate for a long time and you are no stranger to stress. And I'm guessing that a lot of what you do is is to do with the journey you've been on yourself and finding balance. And now you help women over 40, women like myself, to really enhance well-being, thrive in their lives, look at how they're thinking, how they're feeling, how they're eating, how they're looking, just yes. the whole the whole package. Yes, definitely. Well, I think when um, I started as um, a nutritionist, when I left the corporate world and a physical um, biomechanics specialist, I was interested in um, being a fitness professional, but also the nutritionalist angle. And I quickly found that when helping and coaching clients, it was always the mindset that where they got stuck. So there was always the comment, I was watching your posts as well, the five toxic stories we tell ourselves. Mm. And um, that's so often the case. There's a belief system behind what we do that stops us from actually um, stepping forward and into who we should be and who we want to be. And I think as women in particular, we kind of get hidden with the kids and family and even if it's not um, your own family it's the it's the wider family group or even the community or uh, we tend to put their requests first which is wonderful (laughs) which is nurturing which is beautiful but so often we get to a certain stage like 40 or 50 and we suddenly decide okay what about me? Where am I? Where I've got lost. And I, you hear that expression all the time. And it doesn't really make sense until you put it into a day to day scenario. So I had a client last night. She had to book herself a hairdressing appointment months in advance. And she had to write it down on her to do list. 
because everything else was done, you know, everything else took priority, sorting out her kids, her husband, her work, her job. And it was, she hadn't got time to book in a hairdressing appointment. And that's what I mean about getting lost. We we tend to feel guilty. Um, You know, it's not appropriate. There are other people that need to go before me. And that's when we really, really lose ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, I completely relate to that. That's how Big Happy Life came to be, actually, was all of that and also this feeling of not being good enough and thinking I'm letting my kids down, I'm letting myself down, I'm letting my husband down, I don't call my grandmother enough. You know, like it was just everywhere I looked, there was something I wasn't doing well enough. And I had this whole big life of all of these things and yet I couldn't experience happiness because everywhere I looked, I just felt like oh, it's just a big mess. I'm, I'm just messing everything up. Yeah. So it feels like you feel that you're doing everything, but not to the standard <laughs> that you would perhaps like to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we want to be excellent at everything we do. And I wonder if that's more prevalent in certain personality types, certain um aspirational which you know is what our parents taught us to be as women Um, you know my parents were born in the 19 well I don't know 40s and 50s but they were parents of the 60s -hmm. so it was all about emancipation it was all about going out and experiencing the world make sure that you never miss an opportunity so you've got that social messaging that parental messaging combined with well we're women we can have it all we can do the job we can have the career we can have the the six-figure salary um, and our kids will be successful but my word (laughs) what a pressure (laughs) I know I know I have so many questions that I want to ask you first of all about your gorgeous book Get Gorgeous Um, I loved it it is wonderful Um, I haven't completely finished it but I am absolutely thoroughly enjoying it and I've learned so much already and I have so many questions to ask you but the reason that I wanted to um, invite you onto the podcast today was because I am trying really hard to answer a question, which is how good is it possible to feel? Mm. So the reason that I'm asking that question is because you've probably gathered from the conversation we've had so far um, that I set my standards quite high. So as an example, you know, I used to go to the gym and then I would be going, oh, I haven't done enough exercise until the backs of my hands are sweating. Once I've reached that point, then I've worked out hard enough. Okay. And it was only when I was talking to somebody else and they were like, that is a terrible measure. <laughs> You've gone crazy. And so it's an interesting measure. <laughs> <laughs> so I found myself thinking, like, I, I run the risk of driving myself a little bit crazy with always trying to improve things. And so I found myself thinking, what's in terms of when you've reached that point of wellness where you are as well as is ideal, like you don't need to try for something more, mm. what does that actually look like? What what would that plateau be at that highest level of saying, this is wonderful? Okay. I think that's a fantastic question. And it's a conversation that's going to be incredibly individual to everybody else. Mm. How about you turn it around and suggest, I am happy and content right here, right now. I've reached it. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of happiness, I believe that's true. 
And I think, so, okay, here's the other reason for the question. When you look at some of the self-help gurus and the, the information that's available to us about, you know, you can bounce out of bed and be full of energy all the time and you can experience difficult things and you can just bounce back, no problem. Um, the, the, there's this sense that when you do X, Y, and Z, you will reach a point where these things are possible. And what I have found in my life is I feel able to bounce back a lot of the time. When I speak to my clients, they are similar. Some of them are further in the journey. They still have a lot more things that they would like to leave behind and let go of. So for them, there's a lot more still in the mix. But if I look at, like for someone like me, I've moved a lot of stuff out of the way. But days are still really hard. And I don't bounce out of bed every day. I don't have masses of energy to constantly just feel top of the world. But what I'm curious about is, is, is that an expectation that's normal or is that a backs of the hand sweating expectation? Okay. It's an interesting personal reflection. Yeah, there's quite a lot to sort of unpack there. Acceptance is the word that pops into my mind because we have, yeah, we have different levels of expectations of what our life should look like and how we've been, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but the model, the model that we see on social media is something that we all aspire to. So the perfect home, the, the linen bedding, the Kellogg's cornflake ads, you know, it's all this, this is what life should be like. When in the reality, that's not what most people live through. Yeah. Um, so it's the acceptance, to my mind, of being in the moment as you are now. And that will give you a level of satisfaction, which will also give you less man mental anguish mm -hmm. um, and a sense of personal accomplishment. Simple moments, reflective moments start to become a neural pathway, start to become a reprogrammed mental story that we tell ourselves. This was important and the brain will look for more moments of meaning rather than moments of anguish. I think um, we all know what our resilience pillars are. We all know mindfulness, moments of meaning, really important in our daily life, mental health. Um, and that is helped when we have been for a walk, been outside, had some exercise. To me, it's all about the chemistry, the biology in our body and the hormones. And if we go outside and walk or run, we are sending off natural endorphins that your body gets used to, hooked into, um, and it becomes addictive. Mm -hmm. When we um, have coping strategies like a wine on a Friday night or feeding ourselves lots of chocolate cake and stuff like that, they are nurturing in a way that we're trying to look after ourselves. We're trying to do the self-care when we've lost ourselves because everybody else is busy. We need a quick feel-good fix. Mm -hmm. But if we do things like that, the long-term tra trajectory is going to be very, very different. Our outcomes are going to be very different. And then we feel uncomfortable in ourselves and who we are and what we've turned into. And it's that compound effect, you know, that small incremental chocolate cake 
every week <laughs> that yeah. suddenly becomes, especially in midlife, suddenly becomes a whole different story five years down the line. Yeah. So it's making um, it's making that decision to do some exercise, not that makes you sweat on the back of your hands. I think from my book, you'll realise, and, and that's not, you know, that's that, that's fantastic if you've got that level of commitment, but it's more to do with um, finding an exercise that suits you. Hmm. So I practice three types of different exercise. They are physical um, cardiovascular running, um, and that can be fast walking, something that gets you out of breath. And then it has to be uh, muscular work as well, because especially for women of a certain age, the upper body and osteoporosis um, is a big issue, bone thinning and muscle wastage, which is incremental as we get older. So having some sort of weight training or resistance training essential. And then thirdly, it's that mind body discipline. So Pilates for me is a massive thing. And that's why I do my Pilates well-being retreats in Greece and Spain and things like that. And it takes people away from the everyday. It gives them that physical outlet, which can then tire them physically. And then they've got time to put into perspective some of the mental anguish that's going on or, the, or, or just the ruminations. You know, we, we might not want to use the word anguish. We might want to just use the word mind chatter or constant conversations going on in our head, that inner critic. So that there's different phraseologies that don't have that um, um, same sort of uh, effect, toxic sort of conversation going on, but it's they're still there. So I think movement, hugely important, um, but we can't move without coming to terms with the fact of what it's going to give us so I always very much believe in giving the why for something Simon Sinek and all that lot but if you know why you're exercising especially in midlife um are you exercising and your so yours was back of the hand sweat that's why you were doing it but if we're doing it for improved mental health or we're doing it to make sure that our bodies are fit and fabulous in our 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s then that's a very different mindset if you're investing in yourself for the future. And the same thing goes for nutrition. I, You know, nutrition has become a battlefield. And I have to be honest, it's nutritionalists that have caused that. There is a huge diversification at the moment. We've got paleo, we've got keto, we've got vegan, and we're all bickering with ourselves over what is the right way to do and I've done the whole thing I have to be honest we've gone there's so much research into anthropology and what we did as cavemen and how we ate and some people are taking it one route others are taking it down another route um so it's finding out the path that works for you and it's also getting your mindset in the right place to know what works for you but one of the things that I would leave is that women in particular really, really struggle with a lack of one of the macronutrients, which is protein. Protein is something that's going to help keep us emotionally stable. Um, lots of carbohydrates, and I'm talking white carbs, um, pasta, bread, really high processed food, pizzas, horrendous. They kind of give us those highs and lows. And it's not just biscuits, cakes and chocolate. It's all the other. And when you I could get that. See, I'm getting controversial again. <laughs> but when you go on um, a diet, they're going to put you on the lowest calorie food. And the lowest calorie food is 
carbohydrates. They don't have as many calories as fats or protein. Fair enough, you're going to lose weight. But it's also going to give you um, the highs and lows through the day. So emotional highs and lows, that feeling of hunger, that feeling of deprivation, and that's the mental health. So when I started coaching clients on a nutritional basis, that was the issue that started to come up. You know, A, they don't know what to do. It's confusing. Um, B, it's understanding their own bodies and understanding what works for them. And C, it's all the background stories that they've heard from them, from their own mothers um, and, and that's feeding the neurosis now. So I think having a mental agility to understand yourself will help you to understand what's best for you, what's best for your body in terms of nutrition and in terms of physical health. Yeah, yeah. And I think, so, I mean, the, the mental side of that as well, like you talked about the why, but I think there's something about the quality of the why as well. Because if I had to go back to that hand sweating thing, all I cared about at that time was being thin. That was the only reason I was making myself sweat that way. Yes. And when I think about how I exercise now, I have what you described. And this is what I talk to my clients about as well is when the why is coming from a place of some kind of self-loathing, or some kind of fixing of yourself in order to be worthy. Yes. I think it perpetuates a cycle that can ultimately make you feel worse. And so we have to find ways to do things so that they do feel nourishing, so that the exercise is, is nourishing in its own right while you're doing it. It's not about what comes afterwards as much as it is about doing it because you love it in that moment. So, you know, the, 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 the woman who will say to me, oh, my God, you're saying I, I have to run. I'm like, no, you don't have to run. She's like, I hate running. Don't run then. That's not the yeah. exercise for you. If that's the thing you hate, the whole object of this is you're supposed to live so you love it. Um, yes, I think that this is difficult, isn't it? Because you have to get started. Yes. And you're going to hear, so it's the nourishment or punishment. So I understand lots of people don't like running. And, and I'm not advocating running, but I am advocating there are going to be things that you have a mental block over. Yeah. And that mental block needs to be discussed and analysed because you are not going to love everything that you do. It's the trajectory. It's the compound effect. So nobody loves running, <laughs> but they love the endorphins and the hooked emotion that comes afterwards so if it's not running it could be group exercise which is fantastic fun and you make sure that you you don't actually listen to the brain demons because you've got other people around you and it's having that ability to turn up to something with your friends and and make sure that it's done yeah and the thought of it is never attractive the event may or may not be attractive but the feeling afterwards that's the what to hook into great so I want to divide us into two camps if I can. So we talked already about the, the, the women who are at the beginning of their journey. And so quite a lot of what they do is going to have a massive impact quite early on. So anything they can do that will help mental and physical health, will help boost those things, will help nourish them, will make a big difference. So first of all, for those people, what would be maybe the first two things you would say? Like if you're starting from zero at this point, begin here. What would those things be? So start a habit. Okay. Start a habit that you're going 
to succeed in. So when I start to coach with clients, the first thing I get everybody to do is an easy habit Mm -hmm. that they will feel successful with so that that builds upon the next successful habit. But the first thing I would do is drink water. Okay. So that would be a habit that's an easy win. You focus only on that. There's a water challenge on my Instagram page. And it's the first thing to give you that success, that dopamine hit. I've rewarded myself. I've done well. Um, And then that starts the whole cycle going. If what lots of people do, they think, right, I'm going to have a complete makeover. I'm going to lose weight, exercise, get a new figure, fella, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) It's that chunking up thing again. Mm. The aspiration is massive and you feel a failure because you fail. So what we do is we start with something really small, a habit that you're going to stick to. So, for instance, starting a a class at some sort of exercise routine that you will stick to and you do that for a while and then you add in another habit okay and then those habits build upon themselves okay and then the second part is for women like yourself like myself like been doing this for a while have consistently built on those habits have reached a point where Actually, the big things are now taken care of and the habits are embedded. Yes. A, I come back to that question. How good do you think it's possible to feel? So how good do you feel on a day-to-day basis? My happiness is is going to change every day and that's normal. There's a very, very good book about happiness and it explains, um, the work explains that, you know, your genetic profile some people are going to be happier than others there is a default there is a line of happiness Um, but you can do a lot to improve even that genetic form even that trajectory that you've got by doing mindfulness exercise water little wins mindful moments all those little things are going to um, make yourself happy so I feel personally um gifted that I have a very optimistic outlook Mm. so um, I have surrounded myself with optimistic people I attract like-minded people Um, yes there are days I've had several miscarriages I had 10 years of infertility um, tragedies in my life and I felt absolutely on the floor screaming in pain and anger we are all going to experience that emotion Mm. in some way but that doesn't stop us from being having a happy life it's just how we deal with it yes okay so the the biggest question when I was going through a, a huge amount of pain was I could hear this conversation why me and so many clients say that why me why did this this is so unfair and I knew at the time why not me Why would I expect a life that's just going to fly? It's, you know, life is about ups and downs. Yeah. And it's about how you um, accept those, become emotionally resilient and move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this was, I was um, doing an Instagram live with the Detox Barn last week or earlier this week. 
and um, they were asking that question. And I, I feel exactly the same way. I think our ability to experience happiness comes from our ability to navigate the other emotions. I think if we can't navigate the other emotions, we can't experience with any great ease our access to happiness um, because all the other stuff gets in the way and we never, ever clear it because we can't move through it. I mean, you want to clear the backstory and the belief system that you've got, but you're never going to get rid of emotions. Somebody's always going to cut you up in the car. And, yeah. You know, that's always going to happen. But it's, it's, it's when you take a moment of self-reflection and say, why is that triggering me? And most of the time it's fear. So we'll go through the anger stage. I'm really, really angry about this. Why me? Why did he pull in front of me? And then there's the self-reflection. I'm I'm like that because I'm scared because I've got people in the car or because I'm scared of my own reaction to this. Or And it's that self-reflection that then helps us to go, okay, that annoyed me. I've recognised that emotion. Here I am going back onto my trajectory of sunshine, happiness and tequila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My other question, I, still, I haven't even started really asking you the questions I wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, but my other question is about energy. Yes. That's really the key for me in this whole conversation. Um, because I also think that's a feeder to happiness. I don't think it's easy to be happy when you haven't got the energy to deal with your life. That's interesting. Well, I think you're always going to have days where you feel exhausted and it comes back down to the word acceptance, especially in menopause. Mm. So in menopause, you are going to get days where you are flat. You are absolutely exhausted. And if you're used to being driven and pushing yourself, um, that's going to be a real anathema. You're like, whoa, whoa, not having that. (laughs) And if you fight it, that's going to cause more of a physical reaction and a mental reaction. There are going to be days when you have no energy. Mm -hmm. How do you cope with those? Well, I just do what everybody does. Drink chamomile tea, sit in the garden. I love grass. I will go and take moments of meaning with my kids. I will go and listen. I did have those years of infertility, and now we've got children who are sort of teenagers or screen agers. (laughs) I'll just go and watch them. And the other really weird thing that's really freaking my in-laws out is I'm not. I'm I'm not really into nature. I am by Glaswegian, so I am by nature quite a townie. I'm watching the birds. family are going so what are the birds called what types of bird I said I'm not interested in learning about the birds because that's another task Mm. I'm not interested in finding out who they are okay whatever they are I'm just watching their behavior and noticing how they work but I'm not interested in naming them giving myself a task buying a book you know (laughs) I'm not driving myself into that I am just watching I love that. I've got to say that I don't think that is how everyone handles those low energy days. (laughs) Because that actually, you've given me already a couple of, a couple of things that, you know, I'm probably, as much as I hate to say it, the fastest way to kill a plant, but I really want to garden. And so I've, I've put it off as an activity to do. It's, it's one of the things that I'm kind of drawn to as a, I think this would be quite nice today because I feel a bit, ugh. 
but oh, what's the point? Because I can't keep them alive and they look terrible anyway and they'll be dead next year, so whatever. That's your belief system coming in. That's your programming coming in. And also my my slight concern about hearing you saying it is like, what's this this garden going to look like? (laughs) Are you talking Kew Garden? Are you talking... I'm worried that your expectations are a tad high or whether yeah. just going out and pulling out a few few weeds um, and just getting your feet into the soil yeah. is enough. Yeah. It's that expectation that when you do something, it's got to be really, really high. Yeah. I mean, I, I really am hugely into um, tactile things. So I'm always buying things fake fur um silk stuff like that things that make me feel cosseted Mm. so sitting watching the birds in a fake fur blanket is like oh just yeah see there you go and chamomile tea put that into the equation and beautiful effect of really bring and so many people i don't like chamomile tea tastes disgusting i know The effect is huge. And when I was really, really low, I was doing two bags of chamomile tea. (laughs) I was intravenously taking (laughs) chamomile tea because it just allows you to kind of stop, rest and go into that uh, rest and digest. The Mm -hmm. the parasympathetic nervous system, the vagus nerve stimulation and that ability to just go breathe, just breathe. Absolutely. Oh, you might like, uh, see, I hated chamomile tea, but um, one of the jobs I had, I was required to do some work in China and they use the flowers in the water. Yes. yes and that's a different flavour, isn't yeah, it? And that's how I got into chamomile tea because that was kind of the, that was something that I quite liked. And then I, I managed chamomile tea bags after that. <laughs> so to summarise then, I think what you're basically saying is when things don't feel good, find something small in whatever way suits you. Yes to allow yourself to feel nourished and cared for and to do something that feels good for you. Yes. And that's going to be so individual. Yeah. So coming back to your book then, and and maybe we've touched on this to some extent, we have touched on this already, but I just wondered if there's anything else that you would say about it. One of the things you say in your book is that the first thing you have to do is get out of your own way. Mm. What do you mean by that? Well, similar to uh the comment that we've we've just said so often you know coming up with you you can see as an empathetic coach the issue that the person has it's for for somebody like myself and probably like you you can kind of see well the reason this is happening the reason that they're gaining so much weight or the reason that they're so anxious or the reason that their menopause symptoms are so strong is because they are overthinking, they're being um, very self-deprecating, um, they're being rude to themselves. You know, it's very, very hurtful, very, very damaging. And until you are aware of that self-deprecating conversation, that inner critic, you can't avoid it. So I love to give the inner critic a name. And over the years, we've had some amazing names. So sometimes they'll be names of people in our past, or sometimes they'll have a personality that's so big that they they have a name. And then once you do that distancing, once you hear Mildred or Fiona or 
uh, Gertrude, once you hear her conversation, then you've got the ability to see what she's doing to you as an individual and how much she's hurting you and and whether you want to take the, the discussion that she's giving you or whether you want to step back and say, well, that's just Mildred going on again. And the mm-hmm. reason Mildred's there is to protect me. So yeah. she worked when I was in my 20s. She got me out of dangerous situations by being powerful but is she the kind of person that's going to take me into my 40s and 50s so knowing that she served you well and that she's an honorable part of you rather than just saying shut up Mildred (laughs) (laughs) that's not going to work that's that's like going on a diet and saying you're never going to eat chocolate again (gasps) (laughs) it's that it's that Mildred has served me well she was really really valuable at times she's still valuable Mm -hmm. but I don't need her anymore and that's how we unhook so that's how we kind of get out of our own way so you you've got the inner critic and you've got the person that you want to be you've got your inner queen your empress your goddess your your higher self the best version of you you in five years time so depending on the client you've got to decide how to phrase it yeah I think the thing certainly my clients struggle with and I have definitely struggled with is really judging Mildred and trying to kill Mildred yeah yeah, you can't kill her you can't kill Mildred you have to love Mildred she needs love she's she's she came so one of the writers and researchers I'll often listen to it talks about our personalities are created through our childhood so our childhood is somewhere where our personality develops in order to survive Mm. so we've talked about this in the past about people pleasing and stuff like that so as women we try to people please because that's how we survive the family dynamic so Mildred is part of that is part of that survival so she was an asset at the time it might not have been the very best asset because at five years old you haven't got the emotional maturity to develop a a well-rounded Mildred (laughs) yeah you can only use the tools that you've got at your disposal so Mildred was good at five she might have been useful at 10 but is she useful at 20 or 30 so it's like telling off a teenager or a a five-year-old you just as nurturers we wouldn't do it we would be very comforting we would say I've got this I hear that you're scared I hear that you're upset I want to reassure you and we're going to do it this way so you're kind of parenting yourself yeah yeah, I love that. And I think uh, I'm very conscious that I'm, I'm going to run out of time with you and I, I would love to ask you so many uh, millions more questions. Um, one last question, I think, because food is such a big thing for us. Um, and you talk a lot in your book about the link between emotions and food. And we have touched on this already. Yeah. Um, but I wonder whether you could offer a, a couple more uh, ideas for people who are still really struggling with food as a medicine for emotions and what to do instead? Like how do you, when you're faced with that? I think from experience, I think everybody has associations. We have food associations. We have uh, coping strategy associations. So Friday night wine or chocolate when we feel sad or chips when we feel hungover or hungry or whatever, we've all got associations. And they're not wrong. Mm. They just need to be recognised. Mm. And what's serving you? So when you're when you're going for the chocolate cake, 
and you're with your friends or you're out on a Friday night with your girls and it's wine, is that nourishing or is that punishing? Well, actually, when you're with your friends, it's hugely nourishing. When you're thinking, I'm going to have that, I'm going to love that chocolate cake and I'm going to really enjoy it, that's nourishing. Bring it on. (laughs) When you're mindlessly eating and you've had your fifth packet of crisps for the day or you're launched out for a sausage roll or something cheap and cheerful um, that you know is going to damage you, but you cannot be bothered, haven't got time, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And you know that that's going to have a negative effect. So everything that I eat nourishes me. Yeah. Even if it's a bag of crisps or even if it's a sausage roll, because I think this is what I need at the moment. And I'm going to fully love it yeah yeah I I try I actually that's something I've had to work on quite dramatically and I don't always have it and when I don't I eat much more rubbish when I do I've noticed I don't really like the rubbish exactly and that's what happens a lot your body starts to get used to the good stuff but there there is always going to be times when you take your foot off the pedal yeah you go crazy and and it's about it's they call it the 80 20 rule be good for 80 percent of the time and 20 percent just do it you'll see the thing is what's happening is you're trying to argue with your biology Mm. if you've been really good all week and your body is kind of hungry then she is going to call out for food you know you're going to keep going back until you've regained the weight that you've lost yeah all the big losers in america all the ones that they televised they never do a follow-up because they've yeah. lost weight so quickly. It's all about shaming. It's all about mental anguish. Um, you know, it's about doing exercise, which they absolutely hate, and they don't sustain it. And, and the body itself thinks, oh, my God, you've put me in starvation mode. So yeah. I'm going to come back twice as strong. Yeah, it's really hard to, to come back from that. I think that's why that was one of the things, again, it was that balance of, Mildred the goddess and, you know, you the person, that I started looking at those types of goals. And, again, a lot of the goals that are, we think it's the goddess. We think she's going, boo, come over here, you can be thin. And it's not. It's not. That's that's the survival, the fear. That's Mildred going, you need to be thin. Um, But we don't, until you spend the time, you don't recognise it. And so what I found was a key thing for me was Instead of it being about the goal, it was about what it feels like to be in pursuit of the goal. So the weight loss itself becomes the thing that you work out. Like, how do I want to do this so that I enjoy it, so I feel good about how this is happening? Um, How do I want to feel today? How do I want to feel about myself? And then the weight loss becomes a kind of secondary gain. It's it's an output of the activities, but it's not the purpose of the activities. Um, And for me, I found, certainly in terms of my mental health, I found that much more powerful. I do forget it regularly, and that's another reason why I wanted to record this podcast, because one of the things that I struggle with, I don't know if you do too, is I Big Happy Life for me was a lot about the balance of, you know, having the, the big career and doing all the stuff and earning the money and being a mom particularly oh 100% so difficult yeah and so I start you know 
every time I set myself a business goal, if I run at the business goal, I could say, yes, it's the goddess going, hey, you can do all of this. But ultimately, if I run at that thing and I don't think, what does today feel like? Mm. Do I feel like a mom? Do I feel like me? Did I enjoy this? Did I enjoy doing the work? Mm. And if I can't answer yes to those questions, it doesn't matter how much I earn. I've, I've messed it up because this, this is the only day we have, isn't it? So yeah, You haven't messed it up. But it's that whole cycle again, isn't it? Mm. It's that whole. So there's a belief system which is really prevalent in women, especially modern women at the moment. And the working mum has constantly got FOMO. What am I missing out on at home? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a crisis point for women. Um, And together with our perfectionist qualities, um, which have been societally brought into us, you know, and culturally, um, it's a difficult time. Mm -hmm. It is a difficult time. So having your own personal levels of what works and what doesn't is enough. So for me... My kids constantly say to me, oh, you're always working. It's my passion. Um, and they'll they'll say, oh, but your dad's doing the cooking. Yes, it's not my passion. <laughs> <laughs> but I did the cooking. You know, I did the cooking when they were small. I did all the pick-up and the drop-offs. I had a career that I fitted around the kids. And I think a lot of women are doing that. And that's where a lot of organisations need to be aware of that because women are just going to drop out and they're going to go and do their own things and they're going to be entrepreneurs and they're going to be small business owners and they're going to go and do their thing because the workplace and the work culture, it doesn't suit them. Women in the pandemic went back to being 1950s housewives. Most women went back to having to look after the kids, um, do the meals, do the job, do everything else. And the pandemic really stepped back and it was a huge conversation in the training circles that I was in um and then as the as the pandemic went on and men had to get more involved and we had more kids screaming in the background and dads trying to pull them back that we realized that we have to be human and there's a big mental health um rehumanizing the workplace which has happened because of the pandemic so it is very difficult. There's that belief system within women that, you know, the kids are not happy because I'm not giving them 100% of my time. Mm-mm. It's a belief. Yeah. Everything is shifting. Roles are shifting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Adele, thank you so, so much. For everybody listening, I would absolutely and thoroughly recommend your book, Get Gorgeous. It is a wonderful read and full of so many good ideas. So many things that you've spoken about on the podcast, but taken that little bit deeper. And then, of course, looking at your website and the Pilates retreats in Greece, which look amazing. Um, And on the show notes, I will have your uh, various social media Uh, links so anybody who has listened to this podcast who wants to come and find you can do that through there thank you so so much for being on so there you have it i hope you got as much out of that episode as i did was a little bit like my own personal coaching session at the beginning there um but i hope it helped you think about some of your beliefs and some of the ways in which maybe your mildred is getting in your way And maybe she's running some old patterns that are no longer serving you and that are worth questioning. And I think if we all keep doing things like that and we all just keep 
making these tiny, tiny changes, we will ultimately arrive at a point where we feel our best. As always, I would love to know what you take from this episode. I'd love to know what the tiny changes are that you're making, or maybe the big changes are that you're making, and how that feels for you on a day-to-day basis, and how you feel about yourself on a day-to-day basis. If you've got any questions or any comments, you can post those in all the usual places. So Facebook at Big Happy Life page, or the show notes you can find at bighappylife.co.uk. And of course, you can write to me, Natalie, at bighappylife.co.uk. For now, though, thanks for listening.